0: Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. Hey, you, you think
1: that's bad, See so you riding on the phone in the office. Seek Outside Podcast. You like gross stats, and I create like. Some people are just wired that way. Well, so I just want to, before we get into it, because we're rolling. Would you mind just giving a quick introduction, Andrew Skirk on the podcast here, before we get too sure. deep into it?
2: All right. So, um, I am um, I'm 41 years old. I'm based in Boulder, Colorado. I um, am most well known for a, a number of like very long through hikes that I did in my 20s. So, I um, hiked 7,800 miles across the country from Quebec to Washington. I... Did a big um, 6,800-mile loop around the American West, and I did a 4,700-mile loop around Alaska and the Yukon. And in my 30s, I mostly have been um, running a guide service. So so I run a backpacking guide service, and I've written a book that was published by National Geographic, and I've got a website that has a bunch of useful content on it.
1: And for those who want to listen to the, the full introduction of Andrew's earlier years, that is our podcast number 81, if, if you want to go look. Sorry, Kevin. Go ahead.
0: Excellent, excellent job. I got, a quick, I got another quick question. You said you're in your 40s now. Yeah. Could you still go do those trips?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I mean, life changes, right? You run so, a
0: lot. Still. I do
2: so, like fitness-wise, I'm not convinced that I could do the Great Western Loop again. So the Great Western Loop that was um, 6,875 miles in seven months. So I averaged 33 miles a day for 208 days. That that seems a bit much for a 41 year old body, um, versus being 25 or 20, whatever I was at the time. The, just the recovery would be difficult like being able to sleep on the ground and get up in the morning and do that again. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the other trips, though, I think physically I could do. Um, I don't think I would want to do the C2C trip again just because it involves a lot of walking through um, what would be described as like marginal backcountry or maybe even like front country areas. There's just too much time on road and like rails to trail, especially through the Mm -hmm. kind of the middle of the country. Mm -hmm. and then I could do the I would love to do the Alaska trip again but I would never repeat that because if I was going to spend six months doing a trip up there I wouldn't just do what I've already done there's so many other places to explore yeah
0: so let's say let's just say you woke up tomorrow had a wild wild hair up your ass and you said I'm going to prepare to do the great western loop again right but I know that I'm 15 years older or thereabouts what would you change in your prep especially if you wanted to try to get as close to the 33 miles a day which probably no amount of ibuprofen is
2: going to uh
0: yeah do the recovery I, for you i don't
2: i don't think there i don't think there's any prep you could do because you with that level of fitness you like you can't possibly you can't possibly like start the trip in maximum fitness like like you Uh, Thru-hikers are just, are like, um, aerobic beasts by the time they're done with their trips. I mean, like, like individuals who in, like, normal life you would consider to be um, pretty, like, average, maybe slightly above-average athletes, they're on the trail out there, like, on the Pacific Crest Trail cranking out, like, 25 or 30 miles a day, day in, day out. And these are, like, you know, again, like, above-average athletic people. So um you just that is such a um that level of fitness is just really difficult to achieve without just being out there and doing it
1: yeah so so i kind of want to i want to take it to a a different direction here because we're um not that this was a bad path but uh i just i we're getting into backpacking season right Mr. Andrew Skirka, big-time backpacking guide. I mean, if you follow him on Instagram, he's always taken – there are probably – probably not hundreds, but tens of people, scores of people that are putting their life in your hands every year on their first backpacking trip, right? Or maybe it's not their first one, but it's their first, you know, kind of more expedition-style backpacking trip. Um, So maybe maybe a good spot to start with that would be – what your kind of business model is and I know we talked a little bit about this last time, but it we we kinda went into the whole backcountry bidet thing. And I kinda wanna just get a little bit more of a rundown on, you know, the 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 first time backpacker and what it is you do. Would you mind just taking us through your process if if Joe Blow is is wanting to go on a backpacking trip with you. What what what's the process there?
2: Sure. So we I offer um three day, five day Seven day and 11 day overnight trips. So, whatever the day length is, be one less for nights. So, like three day, two nights, 11 days, 10 nights. And we offer trips ranging from uh, first timers or like never evers all the way up to um, clients who are perfectly capable of doing the trip on their own and they choose to go with us anyway because uh, they appreciate the service that we provide, mm-hmm. which is. And In that case, it's going to be we tell them uh, where we're going, the dates, we tell them the gear to bring, we pull the permits, we bring the breakfast and dinners, we plan the route. So basically, they just kind of need to show up in their plug and play, especially if they've been with the program before and they know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to experience levels, we also, um, each trip that goes out is assigned a fitness rating. So for example, like um, next month, we have our first trips of the season in Utah and the first, um, the first session it's um, we're running four or five day trips at a time. And two of those groups are what we describe as moderate. And then there's one median group and then there's one high level group. So we, um, uh, we have five fitness levels total um, uh, one through five. So two is moderate, three is median four is, um, is high. The ones I didn't mention are basic and ultra, which are kind of the bookends. So, which is—it's a nice way to do that because anyone who's ever backpacked with a group before, it's that scenario where, if there's a wide range of fit of physical abilities, you get people up front who are frustrated at the slow pace, and you get people in the back who are like f- upset with themselves for not being in as good a fitness. Mm. Yeah. It's a really difficult group to manage, a little bit difficult difficult group to create camaraderie. So, we try to put like able people together, both in fitness and in experience.
0: How much time do you end up spending during the course of the year on permits and permits <laughs> oh,
2: it's, a, it's a lot of time. So, I mean, there are two types of permits that we need. One is the wilderness permit, and we generally need to go through the same process that everyone else goes through. So, uh, um, this morning, for example, I was on recreation.gov pulling permits for Great Sand Dunes, where we're going to be in May. And um, but then we also need commercial permits, and the commercial permit process is much more involved. I mean, that's um, uh, you generally need to submit um, an operating plan stating your intended trip dates, where you're planning on going, what camps you're planning on using, who your guides are, what certifications they have. Uh, you need to s- uh, um, show certificate of general liability insurance, uh, workers' comp. Um, uh, automobile coverage, um, also the ratings of each of your insurance carriers. <laughs> so wow. it's it's involved. Yeah. So um, I don't know how many, I think if I, I think this year we're operating in like eight or nine different units. So each of those locations requires, I'd say probably like all in for me to sit down for like, if I could, if I could sit down for just like a day with each one, it would probably be like a full day.
1: Wow. That's crazy. So, so you're getting like a good mix of, of different people here, but um, like for your beginners, I'm sure that this whole process of like permits and stuff like that is, is so new. I mean, I'm sure the whole thing is so new. So like take a person that has never been like, I guess the first question would be, do you ever get people that are you know, maybe this is going to be their first backpacking trip. Frequently, really, yeah,
2: especially especially on the three day trips and the five day trips. Yeah, what is
0: <clears throat> what are their biggest uh, challenges of the new newbie? Is it going to the bathroom? Or no, is that's it here that, or that
2: that would be the case. Maybe more like a teenager. I think most adults are you know pretty mature about this. Um, yeah. I would say that the. So we one of the things that makes our program unique, I mean there are a bunch of things that make our program unique, but one of the things is we do a nine week long planning curriculum before each trip, and during that process we take people through a framework on how to plan properly a backpacking trip. so it starts with um, starts with a their first assignment is that they have to that they have to um, assess the likely conditions that they will encounter. so they look at like temperature and precipitation data, they look at um, biting insects, sun exposure, water availability, um, natural hazards like, say, avalanches or flash floods or lightning. So they're looking at all these conditions. And by, by starting that, or by starting with that, then it's a nice gateway to the next step, which is them putting together a gear list, because that, that's a really intimidating process for a lot of people where they're planning a trip to the High Sierra, say, or to somewhere in the Colorado Rockies, but they, maybe they're from Iowa or maybe they're from you know, New Hampshire, and they've never been to these areas before. So how do you plan for a trip um, to an area that you've never been to before? Or, I mean, even someone who lives in, say, New Hampshire, how do you plan a trip on the Appalachian Trail? Because you don't live along the Appalachian Trail. You, know, you, don't, live, you don't live at 5,000 feet on yeah. the shoulder of Mount Washington. So how do, you proper, how do you understand the conditions that you're likely going to encounter and then plan, a, plan a, or a, create a kit? Of gear that's appropriate for those conditions. So that's kind of the second step, and that gear list, like them putting together a gear list, that is a like the most time-consuming, perhaps the most tedious, but also the most valuable thing in the planning curriculum because it's a it's a place where people can just go really wrong. Um, yeah. They um, if they don't have any guidance, they just uh, and the typical reaction is to plan for all of like the what ifs. Mm-hmm. and the just in cases and a really easy way to describe this phenomenon is that people pack their fears mm-hmm. so if they're afraid of being cold at night they pack a sleeping bag that's like way too warm than what they really need if they're afraid of being hungry they pack way too much food you know if they're afraid of if they're afraid of bears even if they're going to an area where there aren't any they bring like bear bells and bear spray and they make sure to have a tent because, you know, bears can't possibly get into tents. Yeah. <laughs> so um so that's that's what you see there. So that's that's kind of a big hang up. The other place we see a big hang up are um <clears throat> gosh, we see hang ups all all over the place. Um food is a tough one, especially more of the breakfasts and dinners. The breakfasts and dinners and then the amounts. So, um you know, if the we supply breakfast and dinners because we have we've got a number of recipes that are they're hearty, they're calorically efficient, but they're still like inexpensive. Um, and preparing those meals is takes a little bit of time, so we just think it's easier for them. To, if if we didn't prepare the meals, then half the clients would show up with like ramen noodles for dinner, and the other ones would show up with like Mountain House,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and we wouldn't really want them to be having it either. Uh, And then for breakfast, you know, everyone would just show up with, like, a protein bar, which isn't great either.
1: It's funny because so many people don't uh, – I feel like for a beginner, that's a big thing. Just you you come from being at home where you got, you know, just a a cabinet full of food. Mm -hmm. And you don't think about caloric intake at all. I mean, it's just like you eat when you want to eat. But when you go out, especially on draining, you know, on a backpacking trip, say you're hiking in six miles and then you're you're gonna be doing some you know, hiking up bagging some peaks while you're up there, you don't realize A, just the level of energy that is taken out on the hike in, right? Especially if you've never done that. I always feel like that's the that's the big one, right? Because it's it's almost just as mentally draining as it is physically draining. But but I, I could see that the, the whole caloric content thing, people just have no concept of that when they first begin.
2: Yeah. What I yeah, think like as, Has anyone ever sat down at the beginning of the day and said, like, laid it all out? And then like, okay, here's all the food that I'm going to eat today. And like, weighed it and measured calories. No, we don't do that. I, so I
0: actually, it- I kind of actually do something similar, but I have a freeze dryer. And so I know meals that I like at home that I just kind of cook that meal, like two eggs, half a thing of beans and a little bit of ham works great for me for breakfast. So I can just cook the 12 eggs, six, 12 pieces of ham, three cans of beans, and put them in the freeze dryer and cut it into six meals. And then I'm like, well, it's the same stuff I'm used to eating. And Some green chili goes a little further with it too. So, um, but one thing I have found interesting is I've ran into... A few, not very often. I've ran into people. I ran into a girl on the middle fork of the Gila River. It was her very first backpacking trip ever. And she was carrying a giant external pack, frame pack, with a bedroll. She was with a girl that she had met in Silver City. And the girl she was with had done the PCT and the CDT once already. They became best friends at the coffee shop. Convinced her to go backpacking the rest of the continental divide with me. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. And they went to the thrift store and bought some gear, right? <laughs> okay. And I'm like, but she was having a great time. And she was about 75 miles in. But her gear looked like, yeah, like it was 25 bucks at the thrift store. Yeah. And it wasn't a, it, it wasn't like it was ruining her thing to have fun. It was just that. She could have done so much better. I also ran into a guy on the JMT who was doing the full JMT. So that's about three weeks for an average backpacker. Yep. And he had slept in a tent once in his backyard. The tent mm-hmm. he bought for the trail. You know, and that was the only t- thing he had like, literally ever done outside was sleep in his tent one night and showed up at the JMT. And it was yeah. like, I got to give him credit for that. You know a lot of a lot of people find it really easy to quit or to say no or to let their fears overcome them instead of just going out and doing whatever to have a good time
2: yep there is a definitely a, a um because you see the opposite happen too where people like um like this especially happened there's a thread on reddit it's called um uh, ultralight reddit ultralight and um now there are folks on there that just seem to just spend hundreds of hours on the forum and just, and their backpacking resumes are really thin. Like just, so they're, and we get this, we get that type of person who comes on our trips too. They're, um, they tend to be really well book read. So they understand like all the gear and all the fabrics and they know all the weights, but their like hard skills are lacking. Like their their like theoretical book knowledge is ahead of where they are physically so you see the other way kevin where instead of like jumping in some people like spend like too much time sort of you know, just um debating you know or like splitting hairs and debating about shades of gray instead of just getting out there and getting some experience yeah i yeah. remember
0: i was i was talking with another lightweight gear manufacturer probably five years ago and um they were uh I asked them like who their primary customer was, and they said, "You know, honestly, I think our primary customer primarily is buying it, weighing it, sticking it in the closet." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
1: well, so so Andrew, like how how do you because th- that's a very common thing I feel like or theme in the outdoor world is these there's these two polar opposites of The people that are just that are gung-ho they don't care what they have they they go to rei they get the first thing that they see and then there's the other type of person that's you know they're getting dyneema everything because that's what the internet said that they should buy like do you see that there's one of those types of people that is more successful or or is it just kind of depends on what you're made of mentally Um.
2: No, I don't. I don't. That's not where I see the trend line. Yeah.
1: Um.
2: Yeah. I. Uh, no, I think both both those groups can be, can be successful. I do find that the folks who spend more time online before their trip um, are probably at least a little bit more aware of aware of the things that they don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. They kind of they know their they know their vulnerabilities. Um. And they've maybe have like read about something or heard about something, but they haven't quite seen it themselves or done it themselves. So it's not totally foreign to them. The folks who are a little bit more um, kind of grab and go. Um, I think our trips can sometimes feel a little bit like a uh, drinking from a fire hose because everything is new.
0: Mm. Yeah. So um, logistically, like you've, I know you do some trips in the Escalante area because I've ran into you on a yeah, time, so. Yeah. Um, I know you do some trips in the Arctic. Does everyone just meet in Escalante, or do you provide some sort of transportation? In the Arctic, you probably have to provide mm-hmm. some transportation.
2: Yeah, so it depends. Most of the locations, I would say every, all the locations except for Alaska, um, we just have everyone meet at a gathering spot near the trailhead so sometimes it's at the trailhead in the case of escalante we meet in town we we rent out the um the city park there for to gather in the morning and then we all split off from there um in alaska the group travels the group meets in fairbanks and then we fly to bettles and then fly into the bush so it's a little Mm. bit more coordinated there
1: you guys are battles you guys fly out of battles
2: fly out of battles
1: oh that's that's amazing i've you know man two years ago i probably do you guys do trips in the in like august and stuff
2: not august usually okay. um last week of june first week of july
1: i'm just curious because i i did a caribou hunt out of bettles and you know they got that little that one little bar there slash restaurant <laughs> the bettles
2: camp. lodge yep. yeah the bettles lodge yeah
1: and man it was it was probably one of the coolest places it, it was like I felt like I was in like a, a a wild West town, right. Where you just, you're meeting all these people that are doing different things. There's this one guy that's, that's going out and, and, uh, looking for, you know, Athabascan ancient artifacts. Right. And then there's the one, there's the group that's, uh, rafting the Naigu river or something like that. And then there's all these hunters and stuff like it's such a cool town. It's, it's probably the, if you know, if I could recommend going to one place for just a couple of days, you don't want to be there for a long time. I
2: was about to say, don't recommend. Yeah. No, yeah. you don't want anyone planning a two week vacation at battle. <laughs> no, might be, no, no. It might be a, a shortage little, of things to do.
1: Uh, uh, well, yeah.
0: Well, unless they're very into just getting outside on their own.
1: So, um, getting back to the whole, you know, beginner backpacking thing. Um, I I just think it's so fascinating that, uh, I shouldn't say fascinating. That's maybe the wrong word, but like a, a guided backpacking trip, right? Um, it is like when you think of guided trips. I typically think of like hunting and fishing. Maybe that. Maybe that's because of how I was raised. You know, more more so around that than than backpacking. But it seems like it would be a super valuable thing, just because you know. Getting out there for for your first time, or even as an expert, right? There are still so many things that you can learn uh, from from somebody that's that's done those those long hikes. Because um, you, you know, going out for a three to five day trip, you know, it's it's controlled, right? It's you're probably not going out too far. But if you're on a sixteen hundred mile trip like you've been on, Andrew, I, I could imagine that there's so many variables that that pop up that you could just never experience in your your typical weekend warrior trip or something like that so what what are some of the things that um you know maybe on some of your ultralight trips uh which i would think would be more um expert level backpackers what are some of the things that you find that they are taking from these guided backpacking trips
2: sure yeah so on the the more advanced trips um so take like since we've been talking about alaska um there are a lot of folks who we've had on trips who are like totally competent lower 48 backpackers they could probably plan a trip anywhere in the lower 48 even like a hard itinerary so they could even do like say a winter river high route or something um but but they look at alaska and they don't even know where to begin like they don't they look at a map and it you know it's it's intimidating you look at a map of say the brooks range there are no trails Mm. right? There are no trailheads. Yep. Um, you look at the map and it's all white. But if you've been to the Brooks Range, you know that it's not just like, well, lovely, you know, like Alpine travel everywhere you go. There's tussocks, mm. and there's Muskeg and there's Willow and, and none of that gets picked up on the map. Mm. Um, so as a as a service up there, and we're mostly giving them the Kind of that local knowledge of how to how to plan and travel in the Arctic. Mm-hmm. In the you guys, couldn't
0: figure out some way to control the mosquitoes. Where <laughs> they could help transport the gear for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: I think Take I think if you go
0: there
2: the at some the in July, you might be able yeah. to make that happen. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like hey, just carry me over this ridge. Get five thousand mosquitoes. Yeah. Oh
1: man, so, that'd be that'd be wonderful. Maybe, Maybe
2: um, just wrap yourself with fly tape and see if it would work. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so that would be like this. You know, the skills in Alaska is mostly just how to understanding what's what's on the map. So where the yeah. where the good travel is and where the bad travel is.
0: How many people bring headlamps on the Alaska trip?
2: Well, we're there at the end of June and beginning of July, and um, I mean, we ex- very explicitly tell them in their gear list that headlamps are not permitted. And every year, like a couple still show up, just just not fully grasping that, like you, like there is no such thing as darkness. At I the did end a of river Ju-
0: trip, uh, yeah. maybe about August twentieth on the North Slope uh-huh. caribou hunt, and yep. the most worthless piece of gear
1: in my pack. <laughs> yeah, totally worthless. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. You
1: yeah, <laughs> it, it would be more worth it to bring like one of those uh spa
2: we that's what masks. we do we tell them to bring sleep masks yep yeah. totally
1: yep so uh in in regards to the brook's Burk ran- range i mean you you brought up a great point there i mean you look at that on on a map and you're like oh this is awesome it's just there's no trees you know if you're on the very north slope you can walk wherever you want Mm-hmm. you get there and it takes about 10 minutes to, to mm-hmm. see that you cannot wear, walk wherever you want you want to walk on those windblown ridges but what's uh like there, i feel like there's a lot of discussion around type of footwear and there's lots of different theories to approach footwear up there because it's so different than anything that you would i mean in my opinion you can't just go to to uh, you know your sporting goods store or rei and get you know, your average pair of boots, there's lots of different factors that go into it. Cause it's just, it really is such a different type of walking. So what, what kind of footwear is the one that you go to when, when you're walking up there?
2: Um, we actually, we, the shoes we recommend, you actually can't get them in REI. So, um, so we tend to recommend, uh, very sturdily built trail running shoes, breathable trail running shoes. Mm. And our attitude, our attitude is that with as much water as there is up there, like, um, the creeks and the, the wet ground, no pair of shoes is going to keep, sh- keep your feet dry mm-hmm. so we recommend breathable trail running shoes, Some, like my personal favorites are the La Sportiva Bushido
0: that's actually what I use so. Okay.
2: and it works really well up there, it's low to the ground so it's very stable, um, it's got good traction, uh, it's got like sticky rubber outsole, it's a really durable upper, it's sort of proven to, to last in that kind of environment when you're constantly off trail all the time does really well it's stiff enough that it does pretty well on side hilling um shoes that don't do well up there tend to be um it's like older pairs of of like the ultra lone peaks, so some of the earlier generations like generation like three or four you yeah, these are like the these are the lone peaks are like the through hiking shoe mm. right they're perfect for the say the Pacific crest trail because they're wide and they're really well cushioned, but you put them up to Alaska and they're not durable. At least they weren't. That's improved a lot in the last couple of generations. Um, and then that, 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 that wideness, which is so nice if you're following good trails, becomes a real liability because you're sliding around a lot laterally in the shoe. And it's also a really soft shoe. So if you, if you take a lone peak and you kind of twist it, it just kind of bends and the, s- and the foam is very soft. And again, that's great for hiking on trails because it's nice and squishy and, and, and cushioned. But you need more rigidity when you're like side hilling or when you're hiking up something steep.
0: I have a couple of friends. One recommends um, Crocs for up there. Um, another one recommends five fingers. Um, and then just warming your feet up in between in like a down booty. Um, for me, when I went up there, I took Tevas. And I took some La Sportiva approach boots. Mm -hmm. And I ended up spending most of my time in the Tevas with a neoprene sock. Okay. Yeah. So the last Sportivas um, eventually ended up getting a little wet inside. Yep. And they, because they're more of an approach shoe, they're kind of a snug fit, and they felt colder, where the Teva and neoprenes ended up just being fine. Mm. Yep. So...
1: Do, do you recommend a, a neoprene sock or any, any waterproofing?
2: We don't. Usually, um, when we're there, it tends to be milder. And mm. um, we do recommend, so we always have them bring um, like some type of camp shoe. And our recommendation for camp shoes is actually just a, um, a pair of dry socks that are like dedicated nighttime dry socks and um, a pair of bread bags. So like two and a half, three mil bread bags, like plastic see-through bread bags. Mm-hmm. And you, put the, you get into camp, you take your wet footwear off, and then you put your kind of let things air out for a little bit, and then you put your dry sock on, then you put the bread bag over that, and then you can put that whole thing in your wet shoe, and it kind of acts like a vapor barrier liner, and it will keep your foot dry and warm, and it's quite lovely. Mm. And it saves, saves a lot of weight versus a second pair of shoes.
0: Mm. There's actually a benefit to the bags as well, even in cold weather stuff. I remember maybe ten or twelve years ago I was on a backcountry trip. We were skiing and snowboarding and <coughs> my friend's feet were cold and we'd been out a couple of days and I gave him a couple of like grocery bags from Walmart or whatever. He ended up wearing them the rest of the trip inside his, uh, and he said, wow, that just totally fixed his cold feet problem right there. Because I guess sometimes that vapor barrier part, sometimes when your feet are cold, a vapor barrier just helps for whatever reason. It raises that humidity or something. And it prevents
2: prevents evaporative heat loss.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, So,
1: what about uh, what about bug protection? What what's your guys's because obviously Alaska notorious for mosquitoes. We <laughs> were just talking about it, and you 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 are you were in charge of a bunch of people, obviously. Yep. So you probably have a little bit more. Uh, you feel a little bit more responsibility to keep these people from turning into some you know pimple faced teenager. We,
2: we like them happy. Yeah. Yeah. So at night we. Even on the, so we tend to be there, like there's this narrow window between the snow melting off and the river levels coming down and then the bugs. So there's like, there's this narrow window. It's like two weeks, maybe two and a half weeks. And we're there like right, right then. So the first week we tend not to see a lot of bugs, but we always recommend that clients bring a shelter with like a fully enclosed shelter. Cause if, even if, you know, as you guys know, even like a mosquito or two at night is, is a real nuisance. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly for that second week, like the more we go into July, um, the, the bugs get worse. And so our recommendation, for, especially for the second week, but really for all the folks who are going on those trips is fully enclosed shelter at night. And then hiking clothes should consist of a, a looser, looser fitting pair of nylon trekking pants and then a permethrin treated shirt, um, ideally with a hood. And if you don't have a hood, then you at least, you probably want, um, um, a hood is really best. That's all there is to it. So, permethrin-treated hoodie is the way to go up there.
1: Is
0: there a specific brand that does that well?
2: There are a couple of them. So, what we usually recommend is that folks find, like, a, a, a hoodie that they like, and then send it off to Insect Shield to have them treat it, and it costs like okay. $10. Bucks. Okay. Um, the one I used last year was a, it's called a, um, it's made by Exofficio, it's called like a, what is it, like the Sharka or something? It's The one I have is a full zip, which is completely unnecessary, but the fabric is actually like, it's more like a midweight fabric. So outside of the full zip, it's like perfect, and it's got a hood. Um, I've seen other um, the Outdoor Research um, Echo hoodie is a little too light. It's kind of like um it's kind of like a Patagonia Kaplan like lightweight fabric it 's a little too light for Alaska, but that would work if someone runs warm you know for we've seen a lot of folks bring like an ex officio kind of like like the button front they almost look like they're going on a safari mm-hmm. like kind of a plaid like the famous Exofficio it's an ex officio halo, and the problem with that is that there's no coverage on your head, so if the mosquitoes are out and about. You know, you don't kind of have anything around, like, your neck and around your ears. And because they'll even, like, even if you have a thick head of hair, they'll still bite through your scalp. So the hoodie is really nice. Um, And then the other nice thing about the hoodie, too, like, the Alaska sun can be intense. There's so much of it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you catch a really sunny day, you've got, you know, basically it's sunny from the time you get up until the time you go to bed. And the sun's on you the whole time. So it's very, very Mm -hmm. limited shade.
1: Yeah. So you guys aren't yeah, running head nets very much?
2: Of course, head nets. Yeah, head nets would be like the next level. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. If it's if it's real bad. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No yeah. hanging out in a tree under some trees to get some shade.
2: Nope. Not there. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's and the mountains aren't really like steep enough either to, um, like the valleys yeah, are so broad.
0: Of, yeah, they're broad valleys. What mm-hmm. about like a hiking umbrella?
2: haven't seen anyone try it i think in alpine areas it's a little tough just cuz they're so wind prone yeah
0: they are they are yeah. So.
2: yeah and i don't think the sun is the sun is not like in, as intense as like southern california or arizona or something so i think they'd kind of be overkill
0: has yeah. there been a gear trend say cuz i mean you you started doing your big adventures probably when the more ultralight style became was was coming into Vogue more. In fact, yeah, I, totally. I yeah. I think your book. You started out with like a forty-pound pack or something, and yep. got ultralight along the way, right? Yep. Um, have there been some trends that have been either positive or negative during your time that you would like to
2: highlight? Oh, sure. I mean, there's some on both ends. So I think that there's a. The gear that we have nowadays is so good. Like there, are, I could I could name. 10 packs like off just right now that I would recommend to people and they'd be really happy with them. So, um, and that pack design tends to be, it tends to be something that looks like the flight, right? Like that's like a classic, like that's like the sweet spot of backpacks where it's, it's two to three pounds. It's got a, it's got a harness, it's got a, um, a suspension. It's a, it's got a suspension system in it. So something stiff, so it can carry some weight, it's got external pockets on the two sides and on the hip, and on the hip belt and on the exterior um it's made out of a a pretty durable material, one that's gonna last probably you know at least like say two through hikes like um so that's been great so I think there's also been some consensus on on um like shelter designs too i think um if you look at something like uh like the silex, the silex is like almost there it's it's kind of catering to a, to a slightly different audience than, than my market. So you guys are... S- Silex is great for like one person in crappy weather. Perfect for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that most thru-hikers and backpackers aren't seeing weather quite that bad. So they're going to go with something maybe a little bit lighter, something more like a, like a solo mid, kind of more of a traditional pyramid. Um, but that... But still, like, the winning method is the, or the winning approach is the same. It's a, it's a tarp with a nest, kind of a modular nest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's been a great development, too. Um, I would say the only thing that I've seen that's negative is people get hung up on arbitrary weight numbers. Like, they're like, well, you're not ultralight unless your pack weight is 10 pounds or less, <laughs> <laughs> like, I would agree. That's, uh, that's... <laughs> but I'm I'm going to hunt elk, <laughs> so like, <laughs> how could you? <laughs> right, yeah,
0: you know, there's there's a lot of ways to skin that cat. As far as to get down to different weights, you can yeah. cut out stoves. You can do all sorts of things, right? But for me personally, um, at the end of the day, you kind of got to enjoy it. Like I see. Mm-hmm some thru-hikers that look more like they're surviving it yeah. instead of enjoying it. right? Yeah, and, and like uh, by what I mean is it's like 45 degrees and they're hiking in their puffy jacket. That was obviously, right. obviously a choice of my puffy will keep me warm at 20 or 30 or maybe augment a quilt. Yeah. But they probably would have been much happier hiking in an alpha jacket or something mm. given yeah. those temp ranges and saving the puffy from when it was cold enough you know yeah they're probably sweating pretty hardcore in there so yeah. i think some people look more like they're surviving it than
2: enjoying it and, uh, I, I definitely know, have sure hiked like with a puffy was. before yeah
0: <laughs> i mean i'll yeah. take a puffy you know what i mean yeah. and i'll walk with a but i mean as far as if i'm active i would so much rather have like an alpha layer or something yeah. similar like that you know. Totally.
1: Yep. Well, then, yeah, there's, there's definitely that balance between, uh, you know, because I feel like there's situations where you can just push through, right? Like you're wearing, maybe you're, I, I've been in situations where you're looking at a, a steep climb to, you know, I specifically talking about, you know, more hunting type scenarios or, or, you know, backpacking as well. But you're looking at a steep climb and, you know, you're just at that point where you're like, man you know what like i don't want to take the time to take this jacket off and you know that that's going to that's going to ruin my flow of of how i'm walking here and um so I, I think there's definitely that balance of you know sometimes you can push through things in order to um you know just make it work for for what you got there but um yeah yeah um but but then there's also times when you know you can really Uh, ensure that your gear is working for you. And that's when the layering kind of comes. I I feel like layering can really change your experience hiking. And I mean, you know, alpha to me has been probably the biggest uh, upgrade in my gear um, resume or, or repertoire that I have just in terms of that breathability, that com- that uh, kind of compromise between something that keeps you warm but also can can really breathe uh, when you need it to, and, and can really dry out like super quickly.
0: Broad comfort range. You know, yeah, you can be you can be like, and we're talking about we've we've prototyped a few Alpha Direct pieces in various weights, so um, yeah, something that you can hike with it in 20 25 degrees but sit with it at 55 degrees and be generally Mm -hmm. fine so
1: yeah do you have a so andrew just i I know you got to get out of here soon here but uh do you have a do you have a go-to um you know layering system that you you know is kind of like your it probably can't yep. be four-season, but it's probably, a you know, three, two-and-a-half-season type layering system. What, is, what does that look like yeah. to
2: you? Yeah, well, I mean, I change it based on the location, but um, I... <clears throat> so I... Years ago, this was, boy, like 2016 or so, I came up with a big series on my website. I called it the um, the Core 13. And my argument was that by mixing by mixing and matching 13 different articles of clothing you could come up with a a layering system that would be appropriate for any set of three season conditions so um so you know my kit looks you know it's basically like, is like as it wherever i am my kit is like some version of that so if i'm in the sierra uh i'm probably going to be wearing for hiking i'm probably going to be wearing shorts um and um, or pants if it's really sunny um, or if the bugs are out, so like, I kind of alternate between those two. And then for a shirt, I'm going to be wearing a permethrin-treated hoodie, and then I'll have a fleece and a rain jacket and a park and like a like an insulated coat, insulated parka for camp. In um, the Sierra, I would also have rain pants, so I think that ends up being like eight or nine pieces, something like that. Probably eight pieces. Uh, if I go. If I go to Alaska, I'm not going to bother with shorts. I'll just go with pants, but it's the same permethrin treated hood hoodie, um, also a fleece, also ring gear, um, top and bottom, also a puffy jacket. But then the big difference in Alaska would be that I carry a pair, um, probably would carry sleeping tops and sleeping bottoms. so some like a shirt or a long sleeve and a pair of like long johns that are like dedicated just for sleep. That way, if I pull into camp after the end of a long, long, wet day and I'm soaking wet, I got something dry to change into.
0: I I I haven't read the series, but I generally agree conceptually. Like uh, my system is probably fairly similar, and I can just pick and pull Mm -hmm. different pieces out. You know, if I really wanted to stress the oh, I gotta make a spreadsheet. Wait, I could. Save a few ounces here and there, and probably have twenty-five pieces. You know, ones when I want to be comfortable, ones when I want to be light. But right. you know, I don't. I don't necessarily care about that last pound. I mean, if my clothing is an extra pound, but I feel comfortable and confident in it, then I'm totally cool with it. Yeah. So.
2: Well, and it's nice for the budget too, right? That you can just. Mm-hmm. Because it's overwhelming to go into an outdoor retail store. Like, There's so much clothing. And there's so much clothing that blends between performance and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, I think it's difficult for somebody to walk into a store and say, well, I'm going on a backpacking trip. What's the stuff do I, that I really need? Versus, like, well, I'm, I'm sort of an outdoorsy person. What's the stuff that I want to wear while I'm on, f- on Pearl Street? Yeah, winter. you could
0: almost take REI and separate it into this is made for adventure, and this is made to look like you're someone who adventures uh, that's while you're a cr- cruising around town. <laughs> yes,
2: you know? yeah, very, um, very true.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah. because they are a bit yeah. different, and yeah. they do kind of do kind of cross that line a lot. Um, so yeah, totally.
2: Yeah, so that that core thirteen was a way to kind of. Um, kind of break through the noise and just give someone, give people like a framework for thinking about their clothing system.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. So, uh, where, where can people find that and where can people find anything that they want to know about you?
2: Oh, if they searched, if they searched for my first and last name, they'd find me. Um, last name is Skurka S K U R K A. And then that, um, that, that core 13 clothing, they could find that too with some easy searches.
1: You, you, and you got a website right with all, with all that stuff how to right. they want to yep. book a trip with you they can get it's on
2: there it's all there yeah
1: do you guys have like a do you have a wait list I, I saw that you just hired another another, yeah. person, another guy
2: we're we're pretty booked up already, so um, yeah. uh like so our first trips are next month, and we're we have we have twelve trips going out, and we have as of this morning we had one trip with one spot left, and then our california trips. Those are in July. Um, those are, I think we're running 14 trips. And I think those are all full. Okay. Um, and then we go to Washington. Um, Washington has, gosh, like maybe one opening. So those are all the full ones. We have a little bit more space for We're running some intro level trips in Colorado in, in the beginning of June. And then we're running some uh, five day and three day trips in West Virginia in October. And those trips, okay. have, those trips have more slack.
1: Nice. So. Sweet. Well, um, yeah, I, I, I appreciate you jumping on, man. Any, anything else that you wanted to hit on before we get out of here?
2: Oh, I think that's probably, probably a good amount, but thanks for doing the work that you guys are doing. Um, I, I will, I'll, I'll plug you guys just for, like I know this is your audience, but your audience needs to know. So like I could, pro- could kind of use whatever backpack I want um I have like dozens to choose from and for two, maybe even three seasons at this point I've been using the flight. So that actually says a lot that like you guys really kind of made something really good there. And if anyone um, if any of your listeners are, are like, oh like what backpack do I want for that for a three season backpacking, the flight is a really good option.
0: I know and you were 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 you wearing a divide or uniweep when I ran
2: into you? When I when you ran into I was probably wearing the wearing a divide.
0: Um yeah. I'll contact you sometime in the next few weeks, offline. Uh, I have some other gear stuff that's coming that uh, you might be interested in, and some new products, as well as some stuff that we probably will be testing in a few months um, that I think you might be interested in as
2: well. All right. Well, love getting out a lot this year, so happy to test. Okay. 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 Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Kevin.
1: Yep. Of course. Thank you. Thanks for jumping on. Appreciate it.